Well, this Easter, together uh, in these morning services, we're focusing on hope. We're focusing on the message of hope. Uh, it's, there's going to be about a billion people, best guesses, today, right throughout this planet, who are going to gather together in churches and they're going to reflect together on the death, but this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as people are gathering together in churches all around the world, they'll be thinking about the resurrection and the hope that that brings. And I want to begin this morning just in this first part of focusing on the hope that the resurrection brings for a new beginning. About a month ago, I took a wedding down in Melbourne. Um, The people who were getting married met at this church and they've now moved down to Melbourne and got married, so they're going to live down there. And uh, on the night before the wedding, uh, we had a rehearsal. And so I went down and I stayed with my parents that night in my parents' home, a home where I'd spent the last part of my growing up um, years there. And I went to the rehearsal, and after the rehearsal, I was travelling back to my parents' home, and I thought, I've got some time on my hands. I might just stop and spend a few minutes going back to some of the significant places in the suburb where I grew up in and just visit some of those places. And I remember late at night uh, driving to my primary school where I'd grown up and been to primary school. I pulled the car up and I looked into the dark um, you know, school where all the lights were out and I looked there and I could see the place where I used to stand at assembly with the big bass drum. Boom, boom, boom. And I saw where I'd stood. And as I looked out into the primary school, I could see the Ashfelt basketball court when, when I was only five years old in prep. I kicked Jenny Lynch in the shins because she was trying to kiss me. <laughs> I got in big trouble for that. Uh, as I sort of drove away from the primary school at night, I looked and I could remember the names of some of the kids who I'd played at their houses after, after school. And I went past my old cricket coach's place where I often got dropped off on cricket morning to go to cricket with him. We went past the milk bar where I used to spend my 32 cents a week pocket money on uh, sherbet bombs and all things like that. And as I left that sort of area, I remembered my primary school time and warm memories just flooded back to me. It was a great time in my life. That same night, I drove to my high school and I drove to my high school and looked into the dark grounds of the high school and I remembered some great times. Gary Elderhorst and I, when we were in the younger years of high school, would just wait till the bell rang and we'd just go and walk around lunchtime saying hi to people and catching up. We'd speak to people in older year levels and younger. We were just people that loved chatting and talking and we talked and talked and talked. In many ways, we just loved being the centre of attention, me and Gary. And they were good times. But as I sat there, I remembered also some silly mistakes that I'd made uh, in those years, some stupid things that I did. I I remember times when I'd hurt people just to be accepted by my mates, times when I'd acted like a fool just so people would notice me. They noticed me, all right? My teachers noticed me and I can remember one time when uh, I was walking in a breezeway and my year level coordinator, an intimidating lady, came up to me and said, Jonathan, you're failing every single subject and there's no room for you next year. need to find a new school. And I remember, you know, just as a teenager going home and saying to mum and dad, mum and dad, you know, I've failed everything. I'm going to fail everything. I remember feeling at that time that I was a failure too. Not just had I failed in my subjects, not just as I had I failed at the whole kind of school deal. I, I, I knew as I was telling my mum and dad, even though they loved me and supported me and were right there for me, in many ways I felt like I'd failed them too as a son. And when it came to uh, God, well, I knew I'd blown it with him. I mean, I, I felt like... The things that I'd done had just, you know, pushed stuff right back at him and said, I don't care about you. I felt like I was beyond hope. I felt like 
Uh, I'd done too many stupid things to, for him to accept me as I was. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. I didn't deserve his love. That night I kept driving and I went to another place and it was the place where our family had lived right through the times from when I was five years old right through to high school. And I pulled up and I looked at the house and it was, you know, apart from the trees growing more around it, it looked pretty much the same. And as I looked in there, I noticed I could see the bedroom where I grew up and slept every night. And I remembered a night 20 years ago now, one Easter time, when while everyone else was asleep in the house, in these times when I was feeling like I was a failure at school, a failure with my friends, I was a failure with my parents, and I was a failure before God. I remember right one night while everyone was asleep, I met God right there in my bed. And I said to God, Jesus, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I've blown it in so many ways. I've sinned against you and against other people and I feel like I'm a failure in many ways. But Jesus, if you're real, I ask you to forgive me now. I want to make a fresh start. I want to make a new beginning. I want to start again. You know, that night I was feeling like I was beyond hope. But as I met with God in my bed that night, as I asked him into my life, even I was not beyond God's hope. As I reflected on that decision in my car on that night, you know what? I was so thankful that 20 years later, God has blessed me and helped me in so many ways. He's given my life so much hope now. Like I think about meeting a a lovely Christian lady, Mandy, getting married. Think about the two kids that I have, two great kids. Think about the fact that right now I live in the best place in the whole world. (laughs) And I live and a pastor, a, a church of incredible significance with so many great pastors and team and staff and helpers and volunteers that are just so passionate about helping bring hope and transformation to lives of people. And God is using us to touch people's lives. And as I thought about that that night, I just was filled with a sense of how it all came back to that night in my bedroom when I said to God, I'm putting my trust in you. Someone who feels beyond hope, feels like a failure, I'm putting everything in you. You know, some of you were dragged here today, perhaps, or invited by a friend who really said, come along. And perhaps some of you are listening to this and you're saying, that's great for all you people that have sort of flown pretty straight all your life, who've lived a pretty good life. But deep down, some of you might be saying this morning, I'm beyond hope. You know what I think? I think the open tomb. The open tomb is just like this huge, giant generator of hope that is just beaming out hope all the time, constantly, for anyone who feels like they're beyond hope. The fact that Jesus has died and risen again and the grave now is open means that nobody is beyond the hope that Easter brings. And my words to you today are, if you think that you're beyond hope, you're not. You're not. People have said to me in my office or at coffee sometimes, they've said, you know, Jonathan, the things I've done, God could never forgive me for that. I just want to say, he can. He forgave me and he can give you hope. Hope for a new beginning. If you'll just open your heart and your life to him today. If you'll just open your heart and life to Jesus Christ this morning, this Easter Sunday, he can do the same in you as he's done in me.
There's hope in difficult circumstances as well. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, my daughter Courtney was on uh, pea plates and we were driving, she was driving the car to the bus stop. We used to catch the bus out to uh, St Paul's at Walla. And the little blue car that we had, we call it the Little Blue Terror because it had a mind of its own. And this particular morning it was cold and uh, as she got out, the bus was there. Of course, we were always running late. And um, she raced out of the uh, driver's seat and left the keys in the car and the motor running. So I thought, I'll just race out of the passenger seat, run around the back and hop into the driver's seat. And a funny thing happened. When we did that, we got out of the car and the Blue Terror decided that it would close its doors and lock itself. And I don't know how that really happened, but it did happen and it's true. And so here I am at 7.30am in the morning with a car, lights on, motor running, bag and the mobile inside thinking, what am I going to do? And so I thought, I know what I'll do, I'll grab a rock. So I, I went and I found, I've actually found a brick and I went up to the passenger seat and I started trying to, I don't know why I thought this, but anyway, started to try and smash the passenger seat uh, window, but it didn't smash, thank goodness. Um, and then I thought, I know, I remembered my husband Warren you know, we have a Lord and Saviour, and mine is Jesus Christ, but my earthly Saviour is my husband, Warren. <laughs> and he was actually working on the causeway that morning, and the car was actually pointed in that direction. So I thought, I know what I'll do. It was raining, but I'll walk along the causeway, and I'll get to where he is, and he'll rescue the situation. So I'm walking along the causeway, but he wasn't there. And he actually had come uh, to work much later and had passed by the blue car, saw the blue car and stopped and thought, where is she? <laughs> the motor's running, the lights are on, but no Gale. And then, he <laughs> and then he said to me later, and I couldn't work this one out, he said, he went to the boot and he started knocking on the boot. <laughs> statement about you or is that a statement about me? Why would you think I would be in the boot? But he did. So anyway, he kept driving and eventually he saw this bedraggled, wet woman walking along the side of the road and he picked me up and of course the answer was that I was rescued. I was restored. There is hope in difficult circumstances. But seriously, and that's a true story by the way, Seriously, you know, sometimes we go through circumstances in life and we think, how are we going to get out of this one? How are we going to get out of this predicament? And you see this image of a road behind me on the screen and there are two ways you can look at this road. You can look at this road as something that's behind you and I wasn't going back to that car, I can tell you. Um, not, not without help. But you can look ahead and sometimes that road can seem very rocky. Sometimes that road can seem like it's just full of pitfalls. And some of you here today are travelling down a road that is full of, dream, of broken dreams, of, of disillusionment, of disappointment. And it's difficult, isn't it? And life is difficult. I know for me, every morning I wake up and it takes all my energy to go through a mental process of preparing myself for the day. Because sometimes the day just seems too overwhelming. And I have to do that in order to almost change the internal, um, you know, equilibrium in my soul. To say, yes, I am going to overcome today. And it was very much like a road like this that two people were walking along the road to a little town called Emmaus after they had actually seen Jesus die on the cross. They were two followers of Jesus. We know from Luke uh, 
um, chapter 24 that one of them at least was called Cleopas. And these travellers were very despondent. They were walking away from the cross. They were disillusioned. They had all their dreams smashed. Um, they thought that Jesus was actually going to free them, that he was actually going to be their redeemer, the redeemer of Israel. But instead, they'd seen him die on a cross. Family members had said, you're crazy following this guy. And now they're wondering, maybe we were crazy. And so they're heading down this road of disappointment, but they encounter a stranger. And the stranger comes up to them, we're told, and he says, what are you discussing together as you walk along this road in Luke 24, verse 17? And they stood there with their faces downcast, the scriptures say. And they, they talk, as they talk to this stranger, they, they recognise that there's something about this person that they didn't see before. They recognise that he is the risen Lord. And we've got to listen to these last few words in verse 24, 25, because they said, in 24, 21, sorry, because they said, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped, those three little words, we had hoped. My guess is that there's not one of you in this room that hasn't at one time or another said a phrase similar to that. I had hoped we had hoped. Well, I'd hoped that I wouldn't be redundant. But I'd hoped that my son, my daughter, was finally growing up, finally getting their act together, finally over that addiction. But I'd hoped to be married by now, have children by now. But I'd hoped we'd seen the last of the illness in our family. But I hoped we'd be able to have a child but I'd hope we'd be able to have a healthy child, some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, but I, I'd hope that when we said, till death us do part, that our marriage would last forever. But I'd hoped that when we moved to Wodonga, things were going to get better, that the best days of our life were just ahead of us. I'd hope one thing, but then in reality it was another. I wanted it to be turned out differently. We've had the privilege, Warren and I, of having our family up for the weekend, his family, and we're just reminiscing and reminiscing about the days gone past. And sometimes when you think back, you can think that days are actually the glory days, you know, better than the days you're experiencing now. And, and there was a, a, a beautiful man that uh, Warren and I both knew that were part of those early days in the church in Dandenong. And, and he was just, he is still just such a godly on fire man. But at, at, at too young an age, we've been told he's developed Parkinson's, severe Parkinson's. And, and for a, an incredibly godly, virile young man, he, he needs great assistance to do even the basic necessities of life. And his wife has to care for him full time. And we were just sharing how his wife's mother, who was also part of this faith community, actually had to care for her husband for many years because he had a debilitating illness. They had hoped for better things, for things to not have turned out that way. Sometimes the difficult road that you're travelling down is not just a few days or a few weeks. Sometimes it's years. Sometimes it's a lifetime. There are people here that have been in wheelchairs or Alzheimer's can get progressively worse. There are some parents in this room with children that have disability and there are no cures. And they live with this day in, day out. Sometimes we wonder if the hope of Easter that we talk about 
Well, it's grace for what was there in the glory days, but is it really for right now? Is it really for the road that I'm on now and for the road that I've got to travel down? These two disciples on the road to Emmaus were despondent and they were down. They were headed west towards the end of the day and the sun was in their eyes and at first they didn't recognise who was travelling with them. And God kept them from realising who it was. They didn't know until the end that the hope was right under their noses. They didn't know that the person with them was the one that they followed was Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. They didn't realise that the hope was just there. They didn't realise that he was their source of strength and power. And, you know, when they realised it, they were actually amazed and they slowed down and it says their eyes were opened and they realised we're not alone God is with us. God is within us. And, you know, my prayer this week for those of you that have been travelling down a difficult road like this in your life recently is that this Easter, remember there is hope for you right now and there is hope for your future. And I've been praying a prayer and it's a beautiful prayer and it's from Ephesians. It's Ephesians 1 and it's from 18 to 21 and I'm going to read it to you now because it's a prayer that Paul prayed for all of us and he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but in the age to come. You know, we have a resurrected power, that's our hope. That resurrected power lives in us today and it lives in us for the future. And I want you to understand God's power can help you. That power that raised Christ from the dead can help you if you believe in him, if you trust him, if, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, if you walk with him, These two guys were given hope. They were given hope after they had given up hope. And even though they didn't know that their hope was right under their noses, um, we do. We can see this hope right now. This hope is in Jesus Christ. And this Easter, 2007, I just really pray that you will believe in the one true thing that gives us hope. You know, I can't tell you how many times, and many of you would say the same thing, that you experience people day in, day out, that say, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I don't know how I would survive. I don't know how I would get through. I hear that every day and I marvel. It is the one constant, it is the one thing that we can rely on on this Easter, this Easter, whatever challenges are ahead for you, remember that our hope is in the resurrected Jesus Christ and that same power that is in Jesus Christ now lives in us. No, I was praying prayers just like we've been praying now uh, in the midst of difficult circumstances, saying, God, I know you're here with me about five years ago. Um, I was going through a really um, tough time in my own life. Um, I, was, I was crying out to God. I was on my knees and I was overwhelmed with life. Um, 
I was in my first church as a senior pastor and Mandy and I had two very little girls. I had an enormous workload trying to finish off my training and studies for ordination. And on top of all that, the church I was pastoring was very unhealthy. It had been through a lot of hurt and a lot of struggle. And I just felt like every single place I turned, there were things that were broken. I mean, even physically in the church, the, the PowerPoints were broken, the instruments were broken, and every day was just frustrating trying to get things to work that were broken. And on top of all these things happening, within an eight-month period in that church, 10 people died. I mean, people that were involved in the church and part of the church just died. Within two years in that time, 15 people uh, had died. I went to the church um, and I'd never taken a funeral when I first got there. By the end of those two years, I was an expert on funerals. Uh, when I left there to come here, someone joked to me, they said, if people start dying up there in Wodonga, we're going to notify the authorities. <laughs> You know, the hardest thing during that time was just realising and coming to terms with the fact that death stinks. It's really a terrible thing, death. And the number of times that I stood beside grave, uh, grave sites with open graves and people around saying farewell to people that they'd loved, saying goodbye to people that had just been so dear to them, was so hard. The difficulty for those who faced helping their loved ones through the very last stages of horrible illnesses was really difficult. Facing the shock of those who had lost their loved ones through tragic circumstances was overwhelming at times. One day, I remember in that time, we were moving house Mandy and I, we were in a place that we were renting and the church had bought a new manse for us. They'd purchased this manse and we were moving there. And we were all ready and ready to go and I got a call from a lady who said her husband had just died. And the night before she had cooked muffins and made muffins and she was going to send them with her husband to come and help us move house that morning. Like she had them already on the bench top in a basket ready. And when she realised what the time was in the morning, she tapped her husband to say, get up, honey. And he was dead. And she could just remember his face as she looked at him that morning and it never left her memory. I remember during those times after just seeing going through the shock and the grief of losing so many people and being there for people, there was a time when I just said, I've got to go to the cemetery just by myself or just on my own and to reflect at the gravesides and the plaques of the people that I'd buried. And I remember because it was a day off and that was a time I could get, I took little Alex with me. She was about three at the time. And I remember just going through um, the cemetery and I remember feeling like what had happened was so overwhelming that I just had to sit a while and take it in and read the names and remember the things that had happened. And while I was there feeling overwhelmed, you know, Alex was just having the time of her life. I mean, there were beautiful flowers all around and she was loving it. There was a beautiful pond with water everywhere and a, and a bridge that went over the waters and she was just skipping along, skipping through the gravesides. It's gravestones. I thought to myself, you know, she's just too young to understand. But I sense God saying to me that day, Jonathan, you don't need to feel overwhelmed because Easter gives you more reason to skip than to feel overwhelmed. You know what I've been learning? There are a lot of things in this life that are overrated, but hope is not one of them. If you're in a tunnel of discouragement, hope can flood the, the tunnel and uh, knock out the end and can just rush through and get you through to the other side. 
You know, when you're lost in a state of confusion, hope is the thing that can take the edge off your panic. When you're standing by an open, freshly dug grave of someone you deeply love, hope will soothe your grief and point you towards heaven. There are a lot of things that are overrated in life, but hope is not one of them. You know, I visited the different places in the cemetery and I saw the names of the people that had been buried and I remember thinking, one day, one day, my name's going to be on one of these. One day I'm going to die. I remember thinking, one day Mandy's going to die. My wife will die one day. I remember thinking, my very own dear kids are going to die. And the truth is today that each of us here one day will face death as well. And that, that is why this day is so important. That's why Easter Sunday is so important because Easter is hope for eternity. It's hope that goes beyond the grave. It's a hope that stares death in the face and says, even though I don't like you, even though I'm not looking forward to experiencing you, you don't scare me at all because Jesus Christ has kicked the end out of the tomb and has made it a tunnel from life to life. Now my hope stands and stands in the hope of Easter. Look what Jesus said. There was a lady who was, right, uh, who was right where a lot of you and I have been, facing death, losing someone we love. She just lost her brother. And Jesus says to her in John eleven twenty five, 25, look what he says. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Then he asks her this question. He says, do you believe? Do you believe? You know, and I think about those people that have died and I think about the grief of losing them. I think about the hope that one day I will see them. One day their loved ones will see them again because those people that died trusting in Jesus will live even though they've died. This, uh, there was a guy that was standing next to Jesus that day when he said these words to the woman. And his name was Simon Peter. And he heard Jesus say the words, I am the resurrection and the life. And he watched as Jesus walked through near the tomb of Lazarus. And he, he heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out from the tomb, out from the dead. And Peter saw that with his own eyes. And you know what? Peter put his hope in Jesus Christ and his whole life changed. And he was following Christ with all that he had, living his whole life for him. And he was going right through the roof in terms of faith and following Jesus. But you know what? When he had a chance to stand up for him, you know what? Peter didn't. Three times he denied him. Three times he bailed out on him. He said, I don't even know who you're talking about. And this guy would know what it feels like to have failed God. I can identify with him. You know, when I was in high school, feeling like I'd failed God, like I'd let him down, Peter felt like such a loser, such a failure. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, So were Peter's dreams. So was his hopes. But you know, Peter, he heard some words of hope. And this is one of the most incredible passages in the Bible because it says that an angel of the Lord stood by an empty tomb as when and when the people came to the when the women came to the cemetery that day. And they came to the grave of Jesus, and the angel said, He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, and he adds at the end, and Peter, you know that guy who thinks he's a failure? You know the guy who denied, me three, denied him three times? Tell especially him that there's hope, that he's not dead anymore. 
think that's incredible. And those who, uh, those words, he's risen, infused a whole new sense of hope into this fisherman's life. And hearing that Jesus was alive, this guy who knew that he'd failed so much, now knew hope beyond his incredible failure. He knew a hope that was stronger than that. And when he stood face to face with the risen Jesus Christ, he knew for the first time that hope was real. It wasn't just a passing thing, it was real. He knew what it was to have a hope for eternity, a hope that lasts forever. And with that, and with, the, with his hope in his heart, you know, Peter then was able to write the most incredible words about the hope that he feels. Look what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 4. He wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, soil or fade, kept in heaven for you. This is a living hope, church. This is a real hope, an eternal hope. It's a hope of eternity, a hope of certainty, a hope of forgiveness, a hope of second chances. This is the very real certainty of companionship in the midst of difficult roads, in the midst of difficult circumstances. It's the very real certainty that there is life forever, that death has been defeated, that we can live together forever because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is certain we have a home in heaven, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's a living hope, the hope of heaven. I tell you what, I, I need that hope in my life. Don't you? Uh, you see, we don't get to live there in heaven just for 21 years or for 53 years or for 92 years. We get to live there forever. We get to live there for eternity. Our life is just like a little drop in the oceans of eternity. It's not very long, our life, is it? Just ask somebody who's lived to be 100 whether they think their life is long or not. It's not at all. It's still just a drop of water in the ocean of eternity. Bob Buffett was a, is a man who tells a story of his son who was tragically killed in a drowning accident when he was just 21 years of age. He drowned in the Rio Grande River and he grieved losing his son. You can imagine how hard it would be to lose a 21-year-old son. And he said that one day in prayer, he just felt like God told him, draw a line in the middle of the paper. And so he took a pencil and he just drew a line on the paper. And God said, now write a number, the largest you can think of below that line. So he just wrote a one with as many zeros as he could fit on the page under the line. And then he wrote it all across the page. And now on top of that line, he felt God saying, write 21. Now look at that. You've only spent 21 trillionths of the time you're going to spend together with your son, Ross. That's what it means to have a living hope, church. Heaven is real because of what happened this day we have a living hope that lasts forever with God. I don't know what heaven will be like. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I know that I want to go there. I want to be there. And I'm really not sure exactly what it's going to be all like, but Jesus said in John 14, chapter 2, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's been preparing a place for those who trust him. And when did he say that? Well, it was about 2,000 years ago, wasn't it? 2,000 years ago when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you know what? If we just figure out this calculation, it took him six days to make this world. I don't know about you, but when I look around, I think this is a magnificent world, an incredible 
creation. And it took him six days to make the world. And for the last 2,000 years, he's preparing a place for you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? It's going to be incredible to spend eternity there. In fact, the Bible writers can't even uh, describe it. The, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, he said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who loved him. They asked a bunch of kids, they said, what's going to be so great about heaven? And one of the kids said this, heaven is a place where you have streets of gold and you can play right out in the middle of them and no one's ever going to run over you. (laughs) To that kid, that was heaven. Another kid said it like this, in heaven you can play with wild animals there. I'm going to ride me an octopus, he says. (laughs) And, you know, I think I might ride on a tiger. Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Um, Imagine going up and doing all that. First thing I'm going to do is hug the lamb. It's going to be an incredible place, heaven. It's going to be incredible. You know, no droughts, no tsunamis, no plane crashes, no bombs, no terrorist attacks, no wars, no racism, no hatred. Not a hint of evil in the whole place in heaven. That's what it's going to be like. We can throw away our watches. We can throw away our mobile phones our palm pilots. We can throw away our handkerchiefs. It's going to be a place that's free from all those things. It's going to be a place that's free from disease, free from pain, free from death. It's going to be a place where God will wipe away every tear. It's going to be a place where we have no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away. That's what it says in Revelation 21.4. You know what? The truth is that some of you live every single day in physical pain. i got some good news for you. The day is going to be coming when your body will be pain-free. It'll be flexible. It'll be quick. It'll be trim. It'll be perfect. There'll be no dentures. No glasses, no hearing aids, no wheelchairs, no artificial limbs, no arthritis. Some of you live with emotional pain every single day. But there's a day coming when there'll be no painful memories, no regrets, there'll be no baggage, there'll be no struggle, there'll be no more broken hearts. It's a place where all our inner longings will be filled when we see Jesus face to face. You've just got to be there, church. You've just got to be there, people. You don't want to miss out on this. You want to be in that place for all eternity. Jesus said... I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, even if she dies, they will live. They will live. And then he asks that question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You know, if you do believe that, everything changes. Everything changes. Today you can invite Jesus Christ into your life, not just to be the saviour of the world, but to be your saviour. You can invite him not just to be the resurrection and the life, but to be your resurrection and your life. If you would do that, if you'd be so free You'd be so free. You would, your life will change. You'll enjoy the eternal hope that's surging through your veins every day. That death will not be the end. And you'll feel the companionship, the friendship of God and the God who gives you a second chance and reminds you that you're not beyond hope. And when death comes, when that day comes upon you, You have nothing to fear at all.
And that could be your day today. Look what, uh, let, me, let me tell you what, 2 Corinthians chapter, 14, uh, chapter 4 and verse 16 says. This is what it says. Listen to this from the message translation. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eyes. The things we now we see now are here today, gone tomorrow. But the things we can't see now will last forever. Church, that's the hope of Easter. That's a hope that sustains my life daily. You know the best memory of that time that I was telling you about in the, those five years ago? It came in the midst of the most greatest need time for me in my life. And a pastoral carer in our church was tragically killed in a car accident. And the grief and shock of this was enormous. She'd visited so many people in just the two days before her death. And she just lived her life giving and giving. And then in a tragic car accident, her life was taken. So from the moment that she died till the time of the funeral, I just spent time with people, just being with them. And on the morning of the funeral, I prayed, God, would you give me the words to say? Would you help me? I'm feeling overwhelmed. And so are they. Help me speak hope. I told them about Jesus and his promise that he was preparing a place for them and that he'd prepared a place for her and she was there now. I shared about the hope of eternity that Easter is. And when that whole full church was empty, I just sat on the stage when everyone had gone and I cried. I cried. And they weren't tears of uh, disappointment. They were tears of joy. Because even in the most tragic circumstances, the hope of eternal life breaks through the most darkest and deepest moments at all. And I said to God, thank you, God for the hope, the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Jesus, for defeating death and the grave. Friends, Easter gives you the hope that lets you skip through the graveyards. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of life. And if you would just put your hope in Jesus Christ... He will change your life. He will change your life. He will make a difference to who you are and to where you're heading. He's done that in my life. He's done that in so many people's lives. Why won't you give him your life today too? Let's pray. Oh God, we just want to thank you for the hope that we have because of you. God, we want to thank you for a hope for new beginnings and that none of us are beyond your hope, your forgiveness. Each of us, no matter what we've done, can cry out to you and can receive the hope that comes from you. God, we want to thank you for the hope that now knowing that you're alive and that you're risen, you're right here in the midst of our difficult circumstances and that you're with us, helping us through it. And thanks that because of the hope, we can face even death skipping. God, help us respond to that hope this Easter by giving our lives to you totally 
and unreserved so you can take our broken pieces and help us be your beautiful living works of art. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what a wonderful and marvellous God we have. This morning, as we um, just reflect on all that he's done, and as we give thanks for the hope of Easter, I just wonder if you could just spend a moment taking out this blue card. It's just in your new sheets. It should be just inside there as well. We just wanted to give everybody here this morning an opportunity to respond. Now, we just think that knowing Jesus Christ is the most important decision that you could ever make. We just want to spend a moment, we'll just collect the cards in a minute. And if this is your first time or if you're a regular or whoever you are, we'd just love you to put in your details if you can. We realise this might be your first time here. You might not feel comfortable about that. And that's fine. Don't worry. But if on the back today you want to say, yes, I want that hope. I want that hope knowing that even I'm not beyond hope. Uh, if you say, I want a, that hope to know that Christ is with me through the difficult times that I'm going. If you say, I want that hope that is for all eternity. You might just want to tick this morning. My decision today is I am receiving Jesus into my life for the first time. That might just be what you want to tick this morning. And that would be wonderful. That would be just like that night when I made that decision in my bed, when I just did business with God. It changed my whole life. And that can happen to you this morning. Could be that you say, I'd like more info. We'd just love you to tick that and, and we'd, we'd love to talk to you more about that. Hey, whatever you do this morning, don't you go away from here without hope that the empty tomb is just beaming out to you, that Jesus is saying, I offer you hope. What, why don't this morning, in these last few moments, uh, you just take a moment to respond. Let's just have a few moments, if you have a pen or pencil, just to fill those out. Let's just do that right now in these moments. This morning, we just want to now take some moments to have our offering. It's a time of saying, God, how marvellous, how wonderful you are. Everything we have, we want to just honour you and say thank you for it. And we want to give part of what you've given us back to you. So as we come to give, let's pray, shall we? God, how marvellous, how wonderful is your love for us. And God, we just thank you that this morning, the hope that you gave me, that the hope that you gave the people that stood up here with those cards is the same hope that you're offering to people today. God, thank you for those that have responded. God, thank you for those that are giving their lives to you. And we just pray, God, that as we give our offerings today, that you would be glorified, that you'd use them to bring glory to your name. Thank you, God. We give uh, joyfully and with hope for all that you'll continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our offerings now will be collected and if you just put your blue cards in as well, that would be great.